We're going to conclude the sermon series that we've been on for a while. We're going through a book called Unchristian. We've been talking about various perceptions of people in our culture, those who don't consider themselves Christian, have about Christianity. And today we end our sermon series by talking about perhaps one of the most hotly debated and electric topics within our society and culture today. And that is that Christians are anti-homosexual. That the church of Jesus Christ is anti-homosexual. A couple of things before I delve in. Number one. Some of you will feel like getting up and just walking out at some point. I'm going to ask you at this point, please stay for the whole thing. If you can't listen to something that you disagree with and engage in conversation, how will we ever really learn about each other? It's got to go both ways. Okay? Oh, by the way, I was talking to you Christians Okay, so if you feel the attempt or that attempt, if you feel the, the feeling that I want to get up and, and, and leave, please stay. This goes for everybody. I'm going to read you a letter. I'll read you a letter, unfortunately, that had to be written because I wanted to interview him in church up front in front of all of you. But because of various reasons, we thought it'd be best if he wrote a letter. He really wanted to be up here, but wanted to read you a letter. He's gay. He's a Christian. And he's been a part of our church for quite a few years. He's writing this to me, but also to you. I'm a Christian. I've been in the church all my life. I've been around new community for a few years now. If it were not for Peter actually being interested enough to hear my story and to take genuine interest, I don't think I'd still be around a new community. I'm really not sure where I'd be for that matter. I wouldn't abandon my faith, but sometimes the church is just too much. I'm one of those people who laughs when I see the Jesus save me from your followers bumper sticker. The church at large has done a crappy job of relating to the gay community. And oh, by the way, yes, there will be some offensive words spoken today. Context, context, please. Unfortunately, the church seems to be full of vocal people who seem to have little tact in what they say. The paranoia within the church over the issue of homosexuality really makes, me, uh, makes people look silly. I wish the church would focus more time on living out their mission rather than trying to establish a theocracy. We don't need, quote-unquote, religion in power. Jesus didn't deny people of their free will, but somehow the church seems to have an agenda to impose its beliefs on all citizens. There are hurtful words and actions from all types, pastors, leadership, and congregants in general. The church feels so judgmental, it's sickening. The stares, the jeers, the offhand remarks, the way we are ignored. The strong focus on the issue of homosexuality is kind of ridiculous. You have extremes on both sides that will go to great lengths to ensure that their quote-unquote proof one way or another is right. Why is it that the church has so many quote-unquote scientists and researchers who do such a wonderful job of proving their point and yet they can never really do anything to a standard that the scientific community would even approach giving it a fair chance for review? If the church were serious about its concern and desire for answers to the issue, it would stop trusting crackpot studies. Both sides are a little too quick to claim their proof at times, but the church excels in this. In doing so, they look like fools 
with their, when their methodologies and samples are exposed. If I want to know about the health effects of chocolate, I don't know how wise it would be to ask Hershey's to conduct a study. The same rule goes for both sides of the issue. There are way too many prominent leaders out there with chronic diarrhea of the mouth who do nothing but spew their garbage over the air and quote-unquote warn America of the impending doom to this nation because of the homosexuals. They mislead people by blatantly quoting studies and taking them completely out of context. They make outrageous claims about gays and the quote-unquote gay agenda and the money keeps rolling in. I'd just like to make a point. There is not a gay agenda There are people who may have an agenda, but there is not some behind-the-scenes operation going on to undermine the government and corporate America to make this one big happy gay nation that teaches your kids how to become gay. The crap that they spew is disgusting to even suggest. The church puts forth this front that they are so loving and that all people are welcome. It doesn't matter what your background is. You are welcome, but oh wait, you just walked in with your boyfriend. Now what? Or there are those who just think that what the church has to say on the issue is crap and they treat you like a normal human being. Then there are those who stare and whisper. And you go sit down and, and God forbid that anyone would sit down by you other than by the sheer force of an usher looking for room. With luck you might find or spot a friend when you come in that you can sit by and not feel like an outcast. Welcoming isn't the word for it. I don't even expect people agree on this issue. I would just like to see people treated as if they were actually human beings. I was created in God's image too. I am somebody to him. If you came this morning thinking you're going to hear a sermon on homosexuality, sorry. You can't talk about homosexuality outside the context of sexuality. You can't single out homosexuality and just talk about homosexuality as some pastors and churches have done. Oh, we're going to do a series on taboo topics. And we'll talk about homosexuality. You can't do that. It's not fair and it's misleading. So if you want to hear a sermon on homosexuality, go check out our podcast, Plug, where we've done sermon series on sexuality. You've got to understand the context of sexuality to understand homosexuality. So no, I don't have time this morning to talk about sexuality and then talk about homosexuality on top of that. The topic of this morning is the church's response to homosexuality. The topic for this morning is how the church has responded to homosexuality and the issue of homosexuality and the unchristian way in which the church has responded to homosexuality. What research has shown, and I agree from my anecdotal evidence and interactions with folks, is that Christians not only object to the lifestyle of gay and lesbian community, but that they harbor these irrational fears. Irrational fears and unmerited scorn towards the gay and lesbian community. This is the reason why the homosexuality issue has become the big issue in the church. And here's the the, the, sort of the rock and hard rock, hard rock is Rock, rock in a hard place? I'm sorry. I came to this country when I was 10 years old. So with some of these things, I'm just, you know, I'm just not. Rock in a hard place. Is that what it, catch 22, is that it? Okay. So here's the catch 22, rock in a hard place, right? The, the, the thing is, the church has made a big deal, Isha, out of homosexuality. But because of our failure to be biblical in this issue, in response to it, it's the primary reason why we're perceived as judgmental, hypocritical, and all of the above. We've made it the issue. So they've responded to the issue by saying, that's the reason why we see the church as hypocritical, unloving, uncaring, insensitive. 
judgmental. Most of the friends that I know who are gay, some of them agree with me, don't agree with me in terms of what the Bible says about homosexuality and homosexual lifestyle. But here's what I find. They don't necessarily disengage because of the fact that I disagree with them. You can be friends with people you disagree with. But what they have a hard time is the way that the church treats them. What they have a hard time is the way that the church has responded to it in unloving and biblically inconsistent ways. Rather than articulating a biblical perspective of this and responding biblically, we come across as arrogant, self-righteous, judgmental, and know-it-all. I think what makes this topic incredibly difficult is that it is an emotionally charged issue. I have uh, friends whose, uh, whose children are gay or wrestling with sexual identity issues. And, and, and I was thinking, man, if they were here this morning, they would probably say, oh, because the reality is it's, it's, it's a hard issue to talk about. It really is. And also it's complex. It's complex. I'm going to make fun of you guys that, that think it's just a, is it a nature or is it a nurture issue? Because I think what that's done is bec- it's, it's allowed us to sort of label people, which kind of gives us an out in actually getting to know people and developing relationships. Do you know what I mean? So we want to know, is it nature or is it nurture so I can get on with my life? It's not that simple. It's not that simple. I think any fair, objective person would say, it's not that simple. And furthermore, when you talk to people and hear their stories, you realize it's not that simple. But the reason why this is important for us to talk about is because it's at the forefront of evangelical Christianity in our country today. This is election year, and lots of Christians will vote on a candidate based on what they think of this issue. It's that important for them. I'm not saying that that's not important, but I'm just telling you the fact that there are lots of Christians who say that this is the primary issue. And unfortunately, because of what the Christians, or Christian community has done, the way that we've responded to it, it's hard to engage in folks. Because when you tell them you're a Christian, it, you might as well have tattooed on your arm, anti-homosexual, gay hater, homophobic. And so when you want to go, whoa, 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 hold on a minute. Don't judge me. You don't know me. Listen to my story. They, they immediately go, but that's how the church has responded. And they're right. For a lot of us, that's how we've responded. How do we get to this place in America? Uh, there are multiple theories, but I really respect a guy named Mark Knoll. Anybody heard of Mark Knoll who used to teach at Wheaton, who's at Notre Dame right now? Who's an incredible interpreter, I think, of social reality in our country. And you know what he says? He says in one of his books that evangelical Christianity in America has never defined itself in terms of beliefs or theology, but in terms of politics. In terms of politics. For example, there was a time when to be an evangelical fundamentalist meant that you were anti-slavery during the Civil War days. And evangelical fundamentalists were so anti-slavery that they pulled out of major denominations because major denominations refused to take a stand, a stronger stance on slavery. So to be an evangelical fundamentalist in the 18th and 19th century meant that you were anti-slavery. Now, here today... Politics is, again, intertwined with what it means to be an evangelical Christian as much as it is with beliefs and theology. Okay, this isn't God's word, but here's just my little theory. Agree, disagree, I won't be offended. I think the reason why the church in America is obsessed with this issue is because, it's not because of theology or scripture. Because let's just be objective here. 
There's not a whole lot in Scripture about homosexuality. There's not. Before you make judgments, are you for or against? Where's the line? Don't, I'm not, just, just listen. It, 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 objectively speaking, God has lots of things to say about, I think, sexuality. But homosexuality, not so much. But why is it such an issue? Could it be that it's a social issue that's been sort of co-opted by Christian politicians who want to make it an agenda, a social agenda? Just a theory. Not God's word. Just a theory. Okay. Could it be that, 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 that because evangelical Christians who are maybe in the realm of politics have made this a political issue, could it be that that's one of the reasons why when you ask Christians in this country how they deal with this issue, even though they believe that homosexual lifestyle is wrong, very few of them could point to non-political means on how they address it. Ask them, how often do you pray for homosexuals? Pray for them? You care, don't you? Yeah. How often do you pray for them? Uh, how often do you donate money or are generous with organizations and causes that sort of are helping people figure out sexual identity and issues? How often do you, uh, money to, or, like the organizations like that? Why is it that Christians feel so free in giving money to cancer patients and cancer research? Because it's a devastating, but when it comes to HIV and AIDS, well, don't they kind of deserve it? The primary ways that the church has addressed homosexuality in this country, evidence says, is by preaching and at and politics. And you know what's really, really dangerous and sad about that is this. A lot of gay and lesbian folks in our, in, our, in, our, in our culture are very much like a lot of us in the sense that we live in a culture today where people are finding their value system, sense of morals, and defining reality in what's called tribal communities or communities of people that they do life with. You know. Because that's how your life is. That's how my life is. More than family or church or pastors, say at the Lord type of thing, people are finding their value system. What's right or wrong? Even Christians in tribal communities are friends and close-knit people that they trust. Now, check this out. If that's how people are developing their value system, right or wrong, if that's how they're developing their value system, and churches said the way we're going to address this, we're going to preach at you, we're going to do political means, we are missing a major, major avenue to what? Being Jesus. And showing a biblical perspective towards this community. Are you tracking? I'm going to talk about that a little bit more. Before I go on anymore, I, I need to say this. When, when I talk about we, I know that there are many of you guys here, they're very enlightened, you're very informed, you're very politically savvy, you're very progressive in this issue. So if you're one of those folks, when I say we, and you're sitting there going, but that's not me, I understand it's not you. Just chill out, okay? This is, just, just chill out, all right? I'm talking about maybe me and maybe a group of us in here who need to hear this sermon. But here's what I want to do. Before I go out any longer, if you're gay in our church community, and if you're gay, you know, consider yourself even a Christian, if you're gay, you're here because a friend invited you, I want to say I'm sorry. I want to say I'm sorry for the way maybe the church sometimes hadn't done this right. I'm sorry if, we, I'm sorry if we've judged you. I'm sorry if we cheated you like you were less of a human being. I'm sorry if we marginalized you and made you feel as if you're somehow less spiritual. I'm sorry for the condemning thoughts and words and actions. I'm sorry that Christian leaders, prominent ones, have gone on the air and said 9-11 and Hurricane Katrina 
for God's judgment on homosexuals in this country. I'm sorry that there are websites with the purported name God Hates Fags. And they spew hatred. And they don't represent me. And they don't represent a lot of Christians in this country. And they don't represent Jesus. I'm sorry that Christians have stood and picketed outside of funerals. Saying things like fags will burn in hell. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that we've held inconsistent beliefs and values and biblically where we slam homosexuality but we look the other way to what really is actually breaking down families in this country and that's 50% Christians get divorced. I'm sorry that we haven't been Jesus to you. Again, for those of you that are saying, but that's not me, I never did that. Again, just chill out. I'm not talking about you. Maybe I'm talking about me and my attitude. Christians, can I talk to you for a moment? It's one thing to say that you disagree with the homosexual lifestyle because of your biblical stance, but it's another thing to oppose and be against a person and treat them as if they were less than a person. We have gone off the course if we minimize sort of sexuality as the one issue that's affected by sin in the world and avoid all the other issues that's been marred by sin. And the fact that we all are broken and the fact that we all need redemption and that we all need healing. It is one thing to say, this is what I believe about the Bible and so this is what I'm going to be standing on. And another thing to marginalize, to oppress, to whisper, to stare, and to treat those who are gay and lesbian as if they were less than a human being. They're not sexual beings, they're human beings. For the time that we have, and I want to try to run through this because there's so much that I wanted to say. What I want to do, again, can I just, confession, I'm not a sociologist or a psychologist. I'm not. I'm not. I don't pretend to be an expert on this issue. I'm also not a theologian and a scholar, you know, with the PhD under my name. I'm just a pastor. That's all. I'm a little pastor that's trying to just deal with this issue in my own pastoral way to people that love Jesus, Okay. So if you're sitting there going, but the resource hit, no, 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 please chill out, okay? There are lots of things I'll leave out. There are lots of things I'll probably just, you know, make a mistake on and stuff. Just please extend a little bit of grace because I don't pretend to be an expert. Is that cool? Okay, so here we go. Here, I, I want to say two major problems, I think, within the, again, when I say we, some of you, chill out. I'm not talking about you specifically. We is a general term. And why maybe we've erred in this, okay? The first problem I want to say is poor theology. Can you put that up there? Poor theology. Okay, what do I mean? Well, there's a couple aspects of this. One, I think we think that homosexuality is the worst sin in the Bible. It's the unforgivable sin in the Bible. Where do we get this from? Can somebody tell me? Can somebody please point to the Bible and tell me where this is the worst sin in the Bible? The Bible doesn't single out homo... Again, for those of you that are very progressive, enlightened people, you're going, this is like kindergarten material for me, Peter, please. <laughs> well, you're like 2% of evangelical Christians in this country, so can you please just sit there and don't be so snobby, okay? Just, just sit there and engage. Right. 
I cringe when, homose- uh, when, 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 when Christians go up there and go, homosexuality is an abomination, abomination. People love that word, abomination to the Lord. It's an abomination to the Lord. And I want to go, have you ever typed in abomination in, like, you know, Internet Bible and find out how many passages which God says is an abomination? Did you know that God says idolatry is an abomination to the Lord? Do you know that the Bible says that injustice is an abomination to the Lord? Do you know that in Proverbs chapter 6, the author of Proverbs said there are six things that God uh, hates and seven things that are an abomination to him. The very top of that list is pride. And arrogance is an abomination. The second one on that list is lying. The fourth thing on that list is being divisive is an abomination to the Lord. And oh, by the way, you know, here's this verse that I like because it's a little, well, let me just read it for you. It's up there. Deuteronomy chapter 22 verse 5 where it says, A woman shall not wear man's clothing, nor shall a man put on women's clothing. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. Which kind of makes, you know, Jenny wearing my t-shirts and she goes to sleep at night kind of an issue. Because it's an abomination in the eyes of the Lord. Jenny, that's an abomination. Take it off. <laughs> Ladies, did you know that you were committing an abomination in the eyes of the Lord? Did you know that, Mary Lady? Did you know that? Look, look, here's, here's. There are people in this country, Christians, over a quarter, 25%, who believe that there are some sins that are worse than other sins, and there are unforgivable sins in the Bible. The reason why we believe this is because we have a warped theology of what sin is. Listen, sin is not violating God's law only. Sin is not doing something that God says not to, disobedience. You know what the essence of sin is? You know what the heart of sin is? Romans chapter 1, interesting enough, we'll get to that. The heart of sin and the essence of sin is finding your identity in anything else besides God. The essence and the heart of sin is, is, is self-worship versus God-worship. It's idol-fulfillment versus God-fulfillment. It's worshiping yourself, being a God yourself, versus worshiping the Creator God. Soren Kierkegaard said this, the essence of sin is finding your identity in anything but God. The essence of sin, the core essence of sin, is building your life on anything else but God, is justifying yourself in anything but God. That's the essence of sin. Of which disobedience is an inevitable result. And interesting enough, the passage, the longest passage in the Bible that addresses the issue of homosexuality, Romans chapter 1, verses 15 to 28. People love to pick on that verse. The essence of what Paul says there is this. Verses 21, 20 to 25. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. The passage in the Bible that talks about homosexuality is a passage in which Paul says, whether it be homosexual or anything else, the essence of sin in the heart of man is the desire to worship something else besides God. And finding your identity and your worth, anything else besides God. Well, but isn't it important that sin is disobeying God's law? Of course it is. But the first commandment of the Ten Commandments is have no other gods before me. Why? All the other sins is a result of building your life on other gods. That's the reason why Paul could go, 
all have sinned and fall short of the what? Glory of God. All have sinned. And when he says that, he's not saying, well, yeah, we all mess up. We are, there are all things that we kind of do wrong. No, what he's saying is every single one of us is born with a bent towards self-worship versus God worship. Every single one of us is bent towards the, the placing ourselves at the center of the universe versus placing God at the center of the universe. Are you tracking? So we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Why is that important? Hear this very carefully. There's not a special judgment awaiting for homosexuals and a special righteousness awaiting for heterosexuals. We are all in need of God's grace and mercy. No one is more likely or less likely to receive God's free gift of grace. Because he loved the whole world. Minus the homeless. No, the whole world that he gave his only son. That means that the only determining factor on whether you are a Christian or not is what do you do with Jesus. That's it. What do you do with Jesus? That's it. Everything hinges on what you do with that. Everything hinges on what you do with that. Let me drive this point home a little bit as it relates to homosexuality. Can we get to a place, church, where we all realize every single one of us has sexual baggage? Every single one of us. That's what sin has done. It's marred this thing that God created for good, but every single one of us sexual baggage. That means that also every single one of us is capable of sexual wholeness. Look, for some of us, Maybe our sexual temptation is being attracted to somebody who is of the same sex. How is that any different from you heterosexuals that are attracted to somebody and attempted to sleep with somebody that you're not married to? How is that any different from those of us that are married that are tempted to be with somebody that are not our spouses? How is that any different? All of sexuality has been marred by sin, but all of sexuality can be redeemed and restored by God. So don't make hierarchical value judgments about that's worse than that. That's all, all aspects of sexuality has been marred by sin. I don't need to convince you of that, though. Married couples, you'll realize the sexual intimacy is hard. It's challenging. Why? It's an area that's been marred by sin, and God is redeeming it. Singles, why is it so hard to be sexually pure? Because it's an area that's been marred by sin and need of redemption and repair. Uh, just real quick, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because I, I, I've talked about some other sermon series, but I think another reason why poor theology or another way poor theology kind of plays into this is this. We lack a clear understanding for the purpose of sex, period. You know what's interesting to me? Research has shown that in the last 20 years, people have heard a ton of sermons on homosexuality. But then when you ask them, how many times has your pastor preached on sexuality as a whole? Very few of them say yes. This is the reason why when we talk about homosexuality, people are frustrated because you go to the hammer passages. Leviticus chapter 18, Genesis chapter 19, Romans chapter 1. You go, why do you go to the hammer passages? Because we lack an understanding of sexuality as a whole. Look, if you understand sexuality as a whole, and you're able to articulate that in a biblical loving way, some homosexual folks might disagree with you, but at least they'll respect you. At least they'll respect you and saying, okay. 
Instead of going and saying, homosexuality is a sin, it's an abomination to which they'll laugh at you and go, please understand the context in which that's come out of. Why did God create sex? Can I, a two-minute kind of a review? Two-minute review. Genesis 2.24 says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. What I believe about scripture and Bible and sexuality is this. That a creation God lays out his will and his desire for human sexuality and that is a man and a woman in the context of a covenant which was a marriage, a lifelong commitment of every area of your life. It's in that context that God says two people are to become one. What's really interesting is this word one appears in another very, very important, powerful passage in in Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 24, which is also known as the Shema. Everybody say that with me, ready? Shema. Shema was the first prayer that little Jewish kids learned when they grew up. Shema was also the prayer that devout Jews recited before they went to bed at night when they woke up in the morning. And here's what Deuteronomy 6, 4 says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The biblical Hebrew word is echad. Same word in Genesis 24. Everybody say that with me. Ready? Come on, clear your phlegm. Ready? One more time. Ready? See, I have water to swallow that down. Sorry. This is powerful. Genesis 24, Deuteronomy 6 4. You know what God says? God says in 6 4, God the Father, Lord, is one. Man and woman are to become one. Do you know what that means? Look, look, look. In 6 4, Deuteronomy 6 4, God's saying, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. There is a beautiful, wonderful, mysterious sense in which the three persons of the Godhead are one. Adoring, worshiping, serving, valuing each other. And Bible says your marriage is to reflect the same echad. The same kind of wonder and beauty and amazement of two people becoming one and that oneness reflecting to the world around us the same oneness of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You wrap your brains around that. I can't. I just, I just tell you what the Bible says. But that's an amazing truth, isn't it? That's why the Bible says sex is a unitive act. It's a physical and spiritual cement that brings two people together. It's a commitment apparatus to say to somebody, I belong totally and completely to you. And I have the context in which I am showing you I belong completely and totally to you. Why? Because I'm committed to you economically. I'm committed to you socially. I'm committed to you mentally. I'm committed to you spiritually. I'm committed to you physically in every single way. And God says sex is in the context in which you have every single way commitment to each other. And when you do it in that context of God-ordained sexual intimacy, It results in deep soul nurture, deep soul nurture. And it connects with the human longing that's innate in us, and that is to be known, to be accepted, to be embraced without condition. Why is that important, the two-minute drill? Because if that's God's will for sex, Jesus says, and Paul says in the New Testament, any kind of sex outside God's prescribed the boundaries of a man and a woman in the context of marriage, period, it's outside his will. That includes homosexuality. It includes you sleeping with your boyfriend. It includes sleeping with your girlfriend. It includes one-night stands. It includes married people having adultery. And oh, by the way, it also includes addictions to pornography, addictions to sexual things that mar this beautiful thing that God has created in us.
People who are gay might not agree with you that that's the case. I know folks who are friends of mine that disagree with me. That's okay. This is what I believe. And when someone says, why do you think homosexual sexual intimacy and homosexual lifestyle is against the will of God, Peter? I tell them, this is why. This is why. They might not agree with you, but can you at least articulate why and do it in a loving way? Secondly, problem, major problem, problem number two. I want to say inaccurate assumptions. Inaccurate assumptions. What do I mean? We think that homosexuality is a simple issue, and this is a big one. I can't tell you how many Christians I've talked to in regards to this, and they say, but Peter, it's just a choice. They just made the choice. And I want to tell you, I need to get up for this. I'm sorry, but if you hear their choices and you hear somebody say, as long as I've been alive, Peter, I've been attracted to someone of the same sex, how am I going to sit there and go, so when did you make the choice? Did you hear anything I said? As long as I've been alive. But when did you make that choice? Like, tell me, the date. It's not that simple. Human sexuality experts, pastors, and various other people in this realm say that simplicity doesn't characterize, like any other areas of human life, the area of sexuality. Most honest, objective people will say it's a combination of uh, personality, tainted sin nature that we have, individual's history, as well as personal needs. Listen, I was talking to somebody. Look, there are people all over the spectrum on this journey. There are folks who are gay and living life publicly. There are folks who are gay and living it privately. There are folks who are gay, don't know that they're gay. There are folks who are all over the spectrum, all over the journey. And for us to go simply, you know what? Is it nature? Is it nurture? When did you choose? How did, da, da, da. Or were you abused as a child? And the, and the simple, stupid, stereotypicals that we throw things at, can we just say, it's not that simple? Is it okay for me to say that? I think I'm going to throw a fit when somebody says, one more time, well, if it's against God's will, why would he create them that way? That just doesn't make any sense. To which I want to go, you struggle with anger. You've struggled with it all your life. Why would God create you that way? But God didn't create me. Well, you struggle with chemical dependence. Why would God create you? But I don't. Do you see the point? Why do we pick out homosexuality and go, well, God would never create you that way, so therefore, you must have chosen. We're all jacked up. (laughs) We're all marred by sin. We all are. Can I just, look, if there's a practical application I'm going to get to this, the reason why Christians hold simplistic answers to this is because many of us don't know a single person who's gay. We have Dr. So-and-so, and I hear homosexuality must be, and we go, oh my gosh, that must be gospel truth. To which when we hear somebody else over here go, I'm confused, you're not confused, you're just, uh, you just don't know anybody who's gay. And just hear their story. Just hear their story. Listen. Hey, most of us, if we genuinely had relationships with folks who were gay, 
We wouldn't hold simplistic answers that says, why did you choose it? We wouldn't. We wouldn't. We wouldn't. And by the way, it's not a simple two-category thing anymore, is it? It's not just straight, homosexual. There are bisexual folks. There are transgender folks. To which evangelical Christian community in America says, oh my gosh, what do we do? We have a hard time just with these two. How do we handle all four? Just chill out. Chill out. It's okay. Uh, Second false assumption. You know what? It's amazing. Nobody has left yet. Wow. I'm just amazed. Okay, great. I'm almost done, okay? We believe that homosexuals are incapable of acting morally. False assumption. Oh, boy. This is probably one of the most dangerous and destructive assumptions that Christians fall prey to, isn't it? The rationale goes something like this. You know, it's best to avoid the homosexual community or folks because <laughs> they're not very moral people. That's why I, I, I want to be humble and gentle. It's not okay for Christian parents to try and get a gay teacher fired from their school because they think their children are going to be tainted by sin. Because a teacher is gay. It's not okay for a pastor to give an advice to a, one of his congregants who's trying to do a business deal and say to that person, oh, you know what, he's gay, he's got no morals, so break it off. The term gay Christian is not a contradiction. Can I say that one more time? The term gay Christian is not a contradiction. You know what is a contradiction? Judgmental Christian is a contradiction. Unloving Christian is a contradiction in terms. Again, anecdotal. By the way, I don't want to give this impression that I've got all of my friends who are gay and lesbian. And I, you know, I, I don't want to paint that picture at all. I know a handful of folks in our church and outside who are. I'm not an expert on this. Some of them agree with me on what I think of what the Bible says homosexual lifestyle. Some of them don't. But the ones that don't, listen, the ones that don't, the thing that turns them off is not Jesus. Really, it's not. It's a refusal to acknowledge the fact that we've put up barriers to people before they come to Jesus. That's it. Look, I'm not approving of homosexuality. What I am doing is disapproving of a church that has lost its way in terms of how to love people who are gay. How do we lose our way into thinking that we've got to put up these, you've got to behave, you've got to believe this before we can join? When do we lose our way in becoming this loving community? And oh, by the way, if indeed God responded to us the same way we respond to the homosexual and lesbian community around us and saying, you know what? You've got to believe the right things. You've got to behave the right way before we accept you. You and I will be out in the dark. You and I will be out in the dark. And thank God that we belong to a community that loves people, a community that loves all kinds of people. Because if it were not for that love, you and I would not be Christians today. But I made that prayer and I sought him out. No, you didn't. God reached out to you and opened your heart. After you say to 
someone who is gay, lesbian, you can't teach in my community, teach in my school, you can't come to my church, you can't be a part of this group. After you say to somebody who's gay, don't even try and put a plastic smile on your face and say, but Jesus loves you. Because they'll look at you and go, get away from me, sheer hypocrite. You can't exercise hatred and discrimination at the same time say to somebody, but I love you in the name of the Lord. To which they'll go, that is an abomination. <laughs> you liar. I told you I was going to make Christians feel uncomfortable today. And by the way, for those of you who are saying, when are you going to draw the line? When are you going to draw the line? of?" First of all, if you listen carefully, I drew the quote-unquote mysterious line about what I think. And secondly, if you're feeling uncomfortable at this point because you think I'm being pro-gay and pro-lesbian, I'm just wanting to, to the best of my ability, communicate to you who I think Jesus is. That's it. And what he would do if he were here today. Uh, third assumption, false assumption, we act as if it's best to avoid friendships with homosexuals. Uh, let me just, because of time, let me just kind of sum it up this way. I think Jesus' approach, you guys, in terms of reaching out to people was this. And I forget who said it, but somebody coined a, a very kind of catchy, succinct phrase. He said that the way that Jesus approached sinners and those who were outside of the faith was, he said this, he said, first, you belong. He invited them in. First, he said, community. Then he said, then you believe the right things, and we'll work on belief, out of which behavior will result. That's Jesus. Here's what the church has done. Flip that, and we've said, do you believe the right things? Or very closely, do you behave the right way? Because unless you do, this whole belonging part, this whole you can be a part of us, that's not going to come. So I want to ask you a question again. Do you believe the right things? Do you, do, do you behave the right way? I think Jesus simply come and say, come on, I invite you. You don't have to have all your issues figured out. Come on, I want to invite you. I want to invite you into this community. I know that you've got tons of questions. I know that you might not even disagree, but I want to invite you. I want you to belong because in that context, let's work on what it is that you believe. And we'll work on the whole change and be everything, but I want you to belong. Can we do that? Can we do that? Listen, you and I, do you know why this is so important? It's important because you and I belong to a culture and society in which people are finding their value system in what's called tribal communities, where they're saying, the way I view reality is by what my friends think. You and I have friends who don't think anything of giving stuff from their work to others. They don't call it stealing. You know what they call it? I'm just hooking my friend up. I'm just hooking him up. We don't think it's a thievery or a crime to download Right? Download stuff we didn't pay for and share it all over the internet. Why? That's just file sharing. We have, we have a culture in which you and I are defining a sense of reality. Again, so if the church says, so the way we're going to address that, we're not going to belong. We're not going to be in community. The way we want to address that is, I'm going to preach at you, homosexuality, ABCD, and E. And secondly, we're going to pursue political means. Can I just say something? You cannot legislate morality. You cannot legislate more. I know some of y'all think you can. But remember what we learned three weeks ago. We do not belong to Caesar. We don't change our culture through just laws, even though that's important. We don't change our culture through political means. We, don't be, we belong to a higher kingdom. We belong to another administration, which is another word for kingdom. So it doesn't matter what the Bush administration does. It doesn't matter what the McCain or possibly Obama administration will do. You and I, the Bible says, belong to a totally different administration. And the head of this administration is Jesus. 
We can't political now. Okay, anyway, you got, uh, one last thing, because I gotta, I gotta, I gotta keep going. Okay, uh, last, last, uh, uh, false assumption. We fear that homosexuals are an organized movement with an agenda with the purpose of subverting conservative Christianity. No, you know what? Again, I'm not like making fun of anybody, but look, that assumption is, is, all you need to do is just talk to people. They're not of one mind and heart and beliefs. Everybody's all over the spectrum. There isn't this massive organized movement where they all agree we all hate the church. We all hate Christians. You have people who love God. We have people who are very curious about the church. We have people, we have people all over the spectrum. Again, it's not Bible truth. It's just what I personally think. There's not a, a movement. You know what's funny is that not just the gay community, but the secular society culture in America thinks that there is a radical right-wing agenda. We're all playing the same games. We're all playing the same games. And the only way it's going to stop is if Christians are bold enough to stop and go, we don't have an agenda. Our only agenda is to be Jesus to you. But which political party are you part of? Party of Jesus? No, 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 no. Republican, independent, what are you? Party of Jesus. We need more Christians in our culture who say, I refuse to be labeled and put into a box and believe what one person and one Christian leader thinks because I'm committed to being Jesus to you. End of story. <sighs> Solutions. How do we respond biblically? Okay. Are you guys okay? Are you still hanging in there? It's a little hot. Okay. How do you respond biblically? One, everybody say this with me. Acknowledge the complexity. Come on, say it with me. Ready? Acknowledge the complexity. Please, please, please. Don't fall prey to just asking. Is it nature? Or is it nurture? Is it choice? Da, da, da. But just acknowledge the complexity in saying that, you know what? There's all kinds of research that will prove both sides. And the scripture seems to say this and that. But at the end of the day, there is a complexity to this issue. And I'm not going to come at you with some agenda to say, you know what? You are this way because you have in this way. And therefore, you will be this way. Acknowledge the complexity. You say, well, that doesn't sound very, you know, firm and courageous. And Precisely. That's the point. Acknowledge that we all have sexual baggage. You know what, can I just, I'm going to pick on some of heterosexuals in here today. How many of you guys would like it if I laundered all of your heterosexual baggage in front of everybody and said, what do you think of me? And we have no problems doing that to the folks in the gay and lesbian community. Everyone has potential for sexual wholeness because God is at work redeeming and healing everybody. The Bible says that all of creation is groaning for redemption. That means there's not an inch of this created space, created order that hasn't been marred by sin. And sexuality is just one small slice, small issue that's been marred by sin profoundly. God is at work to heal it. Okay, you guys want practical application? Here it is. I'm going to ask a series of questions. And for those of you that feel like you're going a little too far, good. Can new community be a place where we not only applaud heterosexuals, singles, who struggle with their sexual temptation? You know what? I just, I was out with this girl last night, and man, we, a little bit too much to drink, and I just, uh, and we go, oh my gosh, that is so vulnerable. That is just like so. Can we do the same for a homosexual, gay and lesbian person in our community who struggles with sexual temptation? 
and they can share that in a space of trust and respect and love? <laughs> I'm almost afraid to say this to our small group leaders because I already know what's going to happen in our small groups right now. God forbid a gay person share their struggles and you could just... <laughs> can we be a church though? If you think we can, say amen. amen. Okay. I'm going to hold you to it. Can we be a place, second one, where someone who's unsure of their sexual identity, can we be a place where somebody maybe is coming to think, you know what, I might be gay. I might be, I might be gay or I might be lesbian. Can we, somebody who's coming to that place of saying, I'm, can we be a church where that person could actually wrestle through their sexual identity issues in community and not alone on their own because they're scared to death that if they share, God forbid, Christians will slam them and go, first thing that'll come out of their mouth is, you need to change that right now today. <laughs> it would be a place where it's, a little child up there found that funny as well. Here's one. There's two more. I'm going to get to the most difficult one. Can we also be a place, you guys, where, okay, there are folks in our church who say, you know what? I believe that the Bible says that sex is between a man and a woman in the context of marriage period. And that means that for me, as a gay man or a gay woman, I need to pursue a life of celibacy, that we actually have a community of people that would enable them to be able to do that. Because we pray for them, we support them, we encourage them, and we are family to them. By the way, I shared this to somebody who said, but it's easy for you to say, you're married. You know what, let me just say something, okay? Let me just say something. This is such a pet people. Can I just say something? The reason why the whole aspect of celibacy or singleness is such a what in this country is because Christians have idolized marriage to a godlike status. Amen. And the singles, 95% of the singles in our church said, Amen. The reason why, not just homosexual singles, but the reason why heterosexual singles feel out of place in church is because churches have lifted up marriage as if it's the end all and be all. So we can't with boldness to say somebody, we're going to be single. Why? Oh, because we've idolized it. We just read the Bible. Jesus said marriage in heaven will be nothing. Marriage in heaven will be nothing. <laughs> and I say this not because I don't love my wife. And lastly, what if there are people amongst us in our church who say, I think actually sexual intimacy between two people, whether they be gay or straight, in the context of everything that you said, Peter, in the context of a close, committed, monogamous relationship is okay. Can we be a church where they can be a part of this community and we wouldn't shun, we wouldn't stare, we wouldn't know. Can we? <laughs> I have a feeling this sermon is going to be broadcast over. I'm going to probably have like Fox News, you know, outside. <laughs> what do you think of? Oh my gosh, get the heck out of here. Okay. Is there anything that I said that Jesus wouldn't do? Is there anything that I said so far that Jesus wouldn't do? Okay. I have two more things. Can you hang in there? 
That wasn't the end. Okay, I know it's a little hot in here. I'm going to go really quick. And secondly, uh, uh, go beyond tolerance and embrace radical love. Look, everybody, look at the cross. Here's what I mean by that. Here's what I mean by that. And maybe this doesn't apply to everybody, but just a few of you guys. Look, the Bible says that you cannot possibly be an intolerant, judgmental person when you take into the depths of your heart and soul your Savior that died on this. See, the reality is we already have an image problem. The world thinks that Christians are intolerant to begin with. Why? Because look what we believe. We believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And on the surface, that sounds very intolerant. The way, the truth, and the life. But here's the thing. When you, look, when you just look closer, when you go deeper and look closer in to who is dying on the cross, Jesus Christ is dying for who? People who disagree with him. People who despise him. People who, God forbid, oppose him. People who hate him. And he's laying down his life for them. So how is this out of character for Christians to lay down their lives then for people who disagree with you, who despise you, who oppose you? How is that any different? Being a fundamentalist doesn't necessarily lead to being a terrorist or an extremist. It depends on what you're fundamental about. I love Dr. Martin Luther King's quote. He said, we need more extremists in our society, but people who will be extremists for radical love. Embrace radical love. See? Where's my notes? Where? Oh, there it is. Okay. These two are really quick, you guys. Really quick. Okay? Really quick. Here we go. C is uh, open doors with conversations and eventually relationships. Again, if you don't know a single person who is gay, we just withhold judgment about what you think of this, what you think of that. And, and frankly, you know what? Because I, I asked some folks in this church and others, I'm like, what it, how do Christians get about, you know, how do, they, how do they go about just developing relationships so on and so forth, you know? What if there are folks in our church who say, I don't know a single person who's gay. You know what they said to me? This was powerful. You know what they said? They said, Peter, there are gay friends all over them, work, in the places they hang out at, places they work out at. It's just, they just need to look up and see. It's not that you have to go out and go, where are the gay people? Where are the gay people? I need to find the gay He says, you know what? If you just open your heart and look, it's not that hard. I don't have time, so I need to go on. Lastly, what is the gospel according to you? If you're a heterosexual Christian in here today, will you ask yourself, what kind of a Jesus do gay and lesbian people see in you? Do folks who are gay and lesbians see you as a safe person who provides a safe space for them to dialogue or do they see you as a danger zone that they're just going to pass right through and they're not going to take time to look at your God because they don't see your God as being the type of person that they would want to get to know because of who represents him and that's you. What is the gospel according to you? And if you sit there and go, well, I don't know a single person who's gay, I want to tell you, you are missing out on an opportunity to be Jesus to a wide group of people who I think would be in love with this Jesus were they to see him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I just put up a quote here, nothing that we despise in the other man is entirely absent from ourselves. We must learn to regard people less in the light of what they do or don't do and more in the light of what they suffer. Daddy is coming up. And I have one last thing, one last thing I want to say, one last thing, one last thing I want to say. Can everybody look up here? One last thing. I promise, I promise one last thing, I promise. If you're somebody in here today and you consider yourself someone who is gay, a lesbian, and you don't, you don't know 
this Jesus. You don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. This Jesus is somebody you kind of stood afar, just watching, observing, hearing, unfortunately, from television and pulpits. I, I want to I just say this one thing to you, one thing to you before you go. And thank you, by the way, for staying for the whole thing, one thing. And by the way, if you're sitting there going, oh my gosh, why is he like doing the whole Jesus thing at the end? Ask people in our church. I do this every Sunday, okay? So it's not like I'm doing this for you. <laughs> Here's the thing about Jesus, and, and, and it's so applicable today. As I thought about this week and prayed about Jesus, and I thought, you know what? For the gay and lesbian folks in our community, in our society, who feel rejected and who feel marginalized and who feel like there's not a community of people that would actually care and love about them. It dawned on me once again this week, you guys, as I looked on the cross and looked at the Savior that's hanging there, it dawned on me again this week that we serve a suffering Savior. And if you're gay and lesbian and you're not a Christian, I want to, look, Jesus might be all kinds of things to you because of what you've heard, but I want to hear one thing. There is nobody that understands and empathizes with you as much as Jesus. Do you know why? Look at his life. Because of who he was, his own family abandoned him, the Bible says. His own family said, he's not a part of us. His own family abandoned him. At the most critical time of the hour, when, when, when Jesus needed the closest friends, people that he had poured out his life to for three years of his life, at that hour, do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that his closest friends, every single one of them, abandoned him. But most of all, the Bible says that on the cross, bearing the sins of all of humanity, the Bible says that Jesus was rejected by his own heavenly father. So much so that he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there's one question that we as a church ask every single Sunday, and that is, why did Jesus do that? And I want to tell you here today, he did that for you and for me. He did that for you, and he did that for me. And I just want to say, will you be willing to listen I know that the church is a terrible example sometimes of Jesus, but would you be willing to listen and see this Jesus who hangs on the cross and says to you, and I don't say this to be corny, or who says to you and me, I actually understand. God, we come together here today. Lord Jesus, it is our desire to be a reflection of you to the gay and lesbian community around us and even in our midst. God, Change me first. Work on me first. I have such a long way to go before I even venture into being more like you. 
And then, Lord, will you work on us as a church community? Help us to learn how and what it means to be you, Jesus, to anyone and everyone, regardless of their background, regardless of their baggage, regardless of their brokenness. In Jesus' name. Before the worship team sings and leads you in the final song, I want to read you the last end of this letter. He says, I think one of the biggest offenses of all is this perpetuated perception that gay people cannot be saved. I'm gay. I'm a Christian. It's not a contradiction. God's requirement for salvation are simple. His door is open to everyone without particular exceptions. The moment we decide to sit around and pick and choose who goes into heaven or hell, it's crap. He says, this is honestly the first church I've ever been to where I finally got away from a legalistic upbringing. All I've ever known before this church is that there's always about hellfire and damnation for sinners. Everything always felt like it was all about our performance and life and really got us somewhere and made us worthy. God always felt like this strange being who is all loving but has a really bad temper and is ready to pounce at a moment's notice. In all honesty, Most of my friends are composed of people who no longer practice the faith and are frustrated and confused with it or are not Christian at all. And before you make judgments about most of my friends, they're straight. I find more love and dignity outside the church than I do inside it. Think about it. I think that most people don't really have a problem with Jesus. They would probably want to follow him if it were not for the fact that the church is so messed up. The fact is that the actions of the church make it really hard to even stomach the church. To be honest here, it's not so much because New Community is so wonderful and has done a great job of handling this issue. It's because God is using you, Peter, and your willingness to actually get to know me and my story. I've had my share of hurt and frustration here. I know others have as well. I'm not writing this to pat anyone on the back. I'm writing with honesty. We all stand together. Thank you for praying for me today. Thank you for being a church family that's willing to discuss the hard things. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. And give you peace from now and forevermore. Have a great week.